This message is part of the series, Asking for a Friend, what we all think, but think we shouldn't. The entire series can be found at fromthefray.com slash asking. All right, this is our 10th and uh, final message on uh, Ecclesiastes in this series of uh, asking for a friend the things we think, but we think maybe we shouldn't think. We've been doing this for 10 weeks, really just following Solomon through the personal memoirs. He's writing an autobiography on his life. And um, along the way, he has uh, asked out loud a lot of things that um, maybe we would be a little ashamed to ask out loud for fear of what people would think about us for thinking the things that we think. Solomon says, whatever, let's just ask him. Maybe it's because he's old, he doesn't have time to worry about what people think anymore. Maybe he's made so many of the mistakes that we wish we could make. And he, and he wants to say, you don't want to make the mistakes I made, trust me. They may look good, but let me tell you how much they really hurt. I don't know, for whatever reason, Solomon just says out loud, in a crotchety way, for sure, in a crusty old way, but he says out loud the stuff that, that really lies at the bottom of the human heart. And here they are. This has been our outline for the whole series. We've done a question a week as we just walked through the book of Ecclesiastes. We started off week one by asking the question, is there life before death? Christians talk a lot about life after death. Everybody wants to go to heaven. I'm all for it. I want to go. But it's a fair enough question to ask, what about before then? What about right now? Is there life before death? Week two, Solomon says, what about joy? Do I need to feel bad for the times when I feel good? Should there be guilt in that? Should I feel bad for feeling good? Week three, why does life feel so hard? Week four, how do I stay alive when I feel so alone? Five, can I get God to do what I want? Can I just get God to do what I want sometimes? Week six, why is money such a mystery? Seven, what do I do when I don't know what to do? When I'm stuck and I've exhausted all my resources and answers, what do I do next when I don't know what to do? Week eight, why do bad things happen to good people? Talked about karma that week. Week nine, death, what's the point? That was last week's message. What's the whole point of death anyway? It sucks. Why do we have to deal with it? And then this week, Solomon's going to tell us, how do you finish well? How do you reach the end of your life so that people say good things about you at your funeral? Now, if you missed any of these or you want to go back, they're all online uh, on the website, fromthefray.com slash asking. Fromthefray.com slash asking. All of these are up there, um, and including today's. Today's will be up there as well, where Solomon says, look, if one thing I've told you is true over and over, it's that at some point you're going to die. It's inevitable. So when that day comes and people stand around you and look at you in the casket and they say stuff about you, if you want them to say good stuff, then you need to finish well. You need to live your life well to the end. And he gives us some principles here for how to do that. Uh, just some eternal principles. So we're going to just look at those principles. We're going to kind of throttle through all the way to the end of the book and, and, and listen to one more time, listen to the, the wise, crotchety old man give us advice. It's like having coffee with Grandpa. Uh, helping us learn from the, the mistakes and the lessons and the experiences that he had. Well, let's just jump in. Let's, let's finish this series. Here it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. A wise person chooses the right road, a fool takes the wrong one. You can identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. Solomon's first principle for living your life well all the way to the end, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. Or don't be a fool or don't be ignorant, however you want to say it. Don't be stupid. 
Now Solomon is not being mean. This is not about your IQ. This is not that. What Solomon is saying here, and we you all can attest to this, right? What Solomon is saying is, you can tell whether someone is a fool or not, probably within the first couple minutes of meeting them. Just by watching them walk down the street, you can tell whether that person has a, a wise, sincere, learning posture about them, or whether they're just a fool who loves the sound of their own voice. Solomon says, if you want to finish well, don't be stupid. Don't walk down the road like a fool. Listen more than you talk. Don't be so in love with your own voice. Be humble. Don't be the fool. And you know you bump into these people, right? Who they have, They've already learned everything that life has to teach them, and they're just here to bless you if you would stop talking and let them say more words. Solomon says, don't be that guy. If you want to finish well, be the contemplative, wise listener. Talk less, think more. Ask more questions, give fewer answers. Now, part of helping us give fewer answers is realizing that we probably don't have as many answers to give as we think. A practical suggestion here to help us not be stupid, not give more answers than we should, is to remember this. Solomon has told us this over and over again. Know that God is God and you're not. Track with me on this. I'm not not being silly. I'm being serious. We need to return to this every chance we can. This is not sarcasm. This is practical advice to help us not drift towards the the foolish path of life. Not, Not speak more than we should. Not give more answers than we even have. Remember, God's the creator. God's the creator. You're the created. God has the answers. God has the answers. You don't. So we need to approach him and approach people in a wise learning posture. Don't walk down the street babbling on like a fool who loves his own voice. Don't don't take up so much space in your life and the lives of other people and your relationship with God. Don't be so big and take up so much space. Because if you're big, God can't be. And personally, I cannot imagine a more scary scenario than being bigger than God. I don't want that. To have the world and and all of its questions on my shoulders? Look, if you're big, God can't be. So take the posture of God as he showed himself to us and and try and act more like him when you come in contact with with him and with other people. By that I mean this. Like as Christians we know, if you want to know what God looks like, then we need to look at Jesus. Jesus is the representation of God here on earth. And he can nudge us off of this foolish path and help us have this wise, sincere, learning, humble servant posture so people will say good things about us at the end of our life. Jesus told Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And and this is the, the, the mission posture that Jesus had when he came to earth. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I set that up to give you these two practical questions to help ask yourself, am I a fool? Have I wandered onto a foolish path? Well, ask yourself these two questions. The first one, how do you feel when you stand next to other people? When you're in a room with other people, are you there to serve them? Or are they there to serve you? Are you building your self-esteem and your ego on their back? Or are you there to encourage them and, and build them up? How do you feel when you stand next to other people? And the second question is, how do you feel when you stand next to the ocean? Think about it for a minute. Or you can substitute Grand Canyon if you want. 
How do you feel when you stand next to something like that? Does the size and the majesty and the mystery of God's creation remind you that you are not the creator? It should. The, the, the size and magnitude of what God created should always put us in our place and remind us, I'm just a humble servant doing my job. I'm just here to serve God and to serve people the best I can. I don't want to walk down the road like a fool. I want to walk down the road like a wise, humble servant. I, I love uh, that in Job, when Job fell into a really dark season of life and he got to kind of questioning God in a very non-humble way, and remember, God's rebuke is something to Job. God's rebuke to Job is something that I try to remind myself of. He told Job, Hey, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst forth from the womb? Now, I like this, and I try to return to this every time I find myself in a dark season and I'm questioning God's goodness. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that God must have gotten it wrong. Right? Because he's doing something that I don't like or something that I don't understand. And so I try to remind myself, look, I wasn't there when God started all this. I wasn't there when he made the universe and the people inside of it. And so it just stands to reason, unless I'm a fool, it just stands to reason, there are going to be things I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. And so if I want to finish my life well, I need to live my life with that reminder. I don't know what I don't know. So I need to have a wise, sincere learning posture, talking less than I listen, asking questions, serving people. That's how I finish well. Here's another thing we do to finish well. Ecclesiastes 10.10. Solomon says, Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. There's nothing wise or holy or smart about working harder than you need to. Being uh, busy doesn't necessarily mean being successful. They're not the same thing. Somewhere along the way, I'd like to know where, we, we made busy the standard for success. You, you notice that? Right? People ask, man, how, how you doing? How's your life been lately? Man, I'm busy, busy, busy. Look at me, I'm important. I'm busy. I got stuff to do. Busy, busy, busy. When did that become the same as being successful? Sometimes it's because we're, we're not sharpening our X. We're not managing our time well. And so we're walking around just pounding at trees with a dull blade. It just wears us out. It's annoying. It's foolish. We need to work rather than harder. That means we need to sharpen our X. So what does that look like? Sharpening your X. Well, it means that we need to spend time working on our life, not just in our life. Are you traveling me on this? If, if you want to have a good marriage, if you want to live inside of a good marriage, then you have to spend time working on your marriage. If you want to spend your time working inside of a good career, then you also have to step back and work on your career from time to time. All this means we need to get some feedback from people. Right? We, need to, we need to ask for feedback. We need to listen and not defend ourselves. That's foolish, talking more than we need to. Just get feedback, listen, analyze if there's something that you can do, and then go to work on your life. Develop some people skills. That's not sarcasm. We all can benefit from learning more people skills. We're stuck down here on earth with a bunch of people. And so if you want to finish well, get some people skills for learning how to deal better with people. Right, spend some time learning about who God is and what he wants for your life. That's a sharp axe. 
wisdom about who God is, knowledge about God and what God wants for your life, that'll give you a sharp axe. People skills will give you a sharp axe. Hey, if you're married, learn your spouse's love language and then come at them with intentionality, loving them in a language that means something to them. So I'm reminded of the golden goose story from um, Aesop's Fables. Remember that story? So this guy wakes up one day and he realizes he's got a goose that can lay golden eggs. Like, whoa, I got a golden egg. It's a lot of money. Good news. And he comes back the next day and this goose has laid another golden egg. Lo and behold, at the pace of about one per day, this goose is dropping golden eggs. All of a sudden this guy, you know, or really progressively, he gets excited about all these golden eggs. And so he decides he wants all of the eggs now. He doesn't want to wait to get an egg a day, one per day. So he decides... I'm going to kill the goose, crack it open, and get all the eggs out of it right now. Of course, you know that story doesn't end very well because that's not how the goose works. It's producing the golden eggs one day at a time. And when he killed the goose, he also killed his means in production of getting more golden eggs for the rest of his life. Now that matters because as far as your life is concerned, you are the goose. And those golden eggs will come out of you at a steady clip, one day or one week or one year at a time, only if you take care of the goose. But if you get excited and you throttle down, you don't Sabbath, you don't rest, you don't sharpen your axe, you don't train yourself, you don't work on your life, you just decide, I want all the, all the eggs right now, they've all got to come right now, you're going to kill the goose. It's not a long-term plan. If you want to finish well, if you want to, to go across the finish line of life with people saying good things about you, you have to sharpen your axe, take care of your golden goose, let it take care of you. Here's another one. Solomon says, uh, if you want to finish well, you'd be wise to listen to this. Fools are exhausted by a little work, it's so little work that they can't even find their way home. What sorrow for the land ruled by a servant, the land whose leaders feast in the morning. Happy is the land whose king is a noble leader and whose leaders feast at the proper time to gain strength for their work, not to get drunk. Laziness leads to a sagging roof. Idleness leads to a leaky house. How do you finish well? By not allowing laziness to take you over. Don't be lazy. Now, of course, this is not about being busy for the sake of being busy. We just covered that. More so, this is about staying engaged. Staying engaged with the world around you, asking yourself, hey, God has given me some gifts. God has given me a gifted skill set. Am I doing the best I can with what I have? Ask yourself that. But that's, one of the, that's a deceptive question, right? Because we, we instinctively kind of defend ourselves and rationalize the times when we're lazy or, or we're not doing the best we can with what we have. So ask yourself that question, but then you have to ask yourself that question again. Okay, really? Am I really doing the best I can with what I have? I had a high school teacher who would, would always tell us, we need to ask ourselves at the end of the day, would I just pay myself for the work I submitted. If, you're, if your work day is going to school or going to work or taking care of the kids or whatever it is, at the end of that day, if you were the boss, would you pay you for the work that you just did? Did you earn your paycheck? Because the truth is, and this is a brutal truth, so brace yourself, but it's important. Nobody owes you anything. Nobody owes me anything. That entitlement mentality, Solomon would say, leads to a sagging roof, or, you know, a, a leaky house, a shutter's falling off of a house because they're just not taking time to work on the house. They're being lazy. 
and, and uh, entitlement mentality takes us nowhere. Now, your own experience will testify to this. You, we all instinctively know this to be true because we tend to feel better, on average, we feel better after we put in a long day's work than after we finish a day where we sit around being idle. Right? A long day's work makes us feel better than an idle day. And I'm not talking about a lazy Saturday. Those are important. What I'm talking about is it's Wednesday at 2 in the afternoon and you're still in your pajamas from lazy Saturday. That, that doesn't take any of us to a good place. We don't feel good about that. That's laziness. That's not being engaged. It, it's kind of like a truck. I think of this often like a truck. Have you ever tried to dri- drive a truck with nothing in the back, like nothing in the bed? It, it's hard to, to control that, especially if the road is slippery and, and problems and pitfalls come up and you try and navigate with nothing in the back. That truck is going to bounce all over the road. You're going to make all kinds of mistakes. But if you weigh that truck down, like we do every winter, right? We put a bunch of stuff in the back of the truck and make it heavy. That enables that truck to drive a straight line. Well, that's what we're like. Because we're put here on earth, like that truck is put here to carry stuff, we're put here to work. And when we work, we become a better version of ourselves. Because that's what we were designed to do. Adam and Eve were working in the garden before they got in trouble. Before they got kicked out, they already had work to do. If you look at the narrative, they were supposed to subdue the earth, take care of it, name the animals. They had stuff to do around the garden. Work is not a result of the curse. Work is what we're put on earth to do. Listen. Work is your way to engage the world with the gifts God gave you. Your work is your way to engage the world with the gifts God gave you. So don't be lazy. Notice Solomon says here in this verse, eat and drink, go for it. But feasting, the whole point of it is to prepare you for more work. We do it so that we can recharge and come back ready to do more work. We don't feast, we don't eat and drink to avoid work. We do it so we can be more engaged, do better work, contribute to the world around us with the gifts God gave us. You finish your life well when you're not lazy, when you stay engaged, doing the best you can with what you have. Here's another one. We've got two more. Want to finish your life well? Then listen to this wisdom. Solomon would say, send your grain across the, ski, across the seas, And in time, profits will flow back to you. Divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. How do you finish well? Make good money decisions. Be smart with your money. I love this. This is insanely practical. This is an important part of our spiritual life, is making good money decisions. I have seen so many people, so many couples, so many young airmen. Listen, guys, I've seen so many of you get in in trouble because you backed yourself into a corner through a series of bad money decisions, then you had fewer options and you just, you just made a bad decision and it did not take you to a good place. If you want to finish well, you need to decide that you're going to make good money decisions. Specifically, Solomon is telling us here, diversify your investments. Exactly what he says. Now, if you have no idea what that means, you need to learn. I'm being serious. This is an important part of our spiritual life. We have to know the fundamentals of how the market works, how the economy works. Listen, this is an important part of adulting. I want you to figure it out now when you're 21 instead of when you're 42. But if you're 42 and you don't know, I still want you to know, you need to know. You need to make good money decisions. Now, I'm not talking about being a day trader, buying a bunch of stocks, become the next Warren Buffett. It doesn't need to come to that. I'm talking about the simple mechanics of how our economy works, how money works, in the way that you can use that to your advantage and to the advantage of your family 
and the people who are in your sphere of influence. If you don't know, read a book, find a website, talk to your chaplain. I would love to talk to you about money and how money works. Because I'm convinced, the Bible tells us, money is an important part of your spiritual life. You need to use it well. I, I often will refer people to Dave Ramsey. If you don't know the name Dave Ramsey, you need to. His, his, his whole company, his slogan, his motto is teaching people God's and Grandma's way of managing money. It's brilliant. Such good stuff in there. I, I love that Solomon includes this because it is so practical. I know I said it. I want to say it again. It's incredibly practical. Jesus teaches a lot about money because it comes down to this. Money is a very powerful tool. Either you're going to use it or it's going to use you. If you don't know the fundamentals of banking, debt, compound interest, how it works for you or against you, if you don't know those things, then you're going to get used. And there's nothing, there's nothing inherently spiritual about being poor. If you want to finish well, decide that money is going to be one less thing that you're going to worry about. You're going to make good money decisions, and you're going to finish well from a strong financial position. I'm not saying you've got to be rich. I'm saying you've got to avoid debt and use money the right way. Know how to do that. Listen to Solomon's advice here. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. Want to finish well? Manage your money well. Know what that means so that you can give money to your kids' kids and, 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 and just one less thing for you to worry about, one less problem for you to have. Manage your money well. All right, here's one more. Ecclesiastes 4. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. How do you finish well? Well, you have a bias toward action. Have a bias toward action. Do something. Seriously, do something. Do something. Be proactive and have a bias toward taking the next step. Like I'm all for preparation and research and analysis, but sometimes those things become an excuse for not being proactive and doing the next right thing. Solomon says here, if you watch every cloud, if you analyze every cloud, then you're never going to harvest. It just turns into analyze, 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 paralyzed. One consistent theme throughout this entire book is that you only have so much time to live. You don't know how much time that is, but Solomon has told us, however much time it is, it's not a lot. He says it's like a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And so we need to finish well by constantly having a bias toward action. Now, here, here's two practical suggestions to help you have a bias toward action. The first one is, you need to know what you are about. Now, if someone asks you, hey man, what are you about? What do you want out of life? Better yet, what has God made you good at? What gifts has God given you? And how are you on earth to use those gifts? Would you know what to say? What do you call it? Goals or a life mission statement or whatever? Are you able to answer that question? Do you even know what you want people to say about you at your funeral? For me, it comes down to these three things. I want to use the gifts God gave me to help as many people as possible come in contact with the real Jesus. I want to share the gospel, yes, from the pulpit, yes, in a teaching way, 
but even more so, just in a life-on-life -life practical way, I want people to see Jesus as he presented himself and then make a decision for themselves. I'm convinced that too many people don't, don't walk away from Jesus, they walk away from a false version of him that the church has diluted or, or perverted or twisted, and they're walking away from their salvation, but they're doing it without ever actually knowing who Jesus really was. So I want to use the gifts God gave me to help people come in contact with the real Jesus and make a decision about him for themselves. The second thing I want to do is I want to love my wife with so much intentionality that that woman never has to question whether I am on her side and whether I love her with all that I have. I want to do it on purpose. I want to do it aggressively. I want to do it proactively so that she always knows I'm in her corner, I adore her, and it's, it's me and her till the end. And the third thing I want to do is I want to partner with that woman to raise kids who love Jesus in the good times and the bad. That's my list. If people say that about me at my funeral, then I will have finished well. That's what I'm about. Now here's the thing about the list, right? Whether I hope you have a list. It's probably not mine, but you need to have one of your own. Regardless, with your list, here's the thing about it. That's not going to happen on accident. You don't just drift into doing those things. You don't just trip and fall into love and intimacy with your spouse. You've got to be deliberate about that, man. You've got to study your spouse. You've got to learn about her and then come at her with intentionality. If you want to be good at your job, you don't just, just wake up and just drift into it. You have to study your job and practice and rehearse and get better and then practice and rehearse again. And get, You have to be intentional about it. If we want our kids to love Jesus in the good times and the bad, then they have to see us doing that. Not just hear me talking about it from the pulpit, but they need to see that I have bad days, and on those bad days, I need Jesus just as much as I want them to need Jesus. So that means when I'm wrong, I say so. And I do the best I can to model repentance so that my kids, when they leave the house someday, and they are going to leave the house someday, they leave the house seeing a mom and dad who loved each other very much, and needed Jesus desperately to go from one day to the next. I want them to be reliant on that. But th that, that does not come without deliberate intentionality. And that's why the second thing I want you to do here, so the first one, you need to know what you're about. And the second thing is, then you need to go and do the next right thing. I'm constantly telling my kids, do the next right thing. You want to finish well? Then do what's next. We, we get ourselves kind of tripped up when we try to think about the next 17 steps. Well, how about number one right now? Don't get lost in the details. If you want to lose 100 pounds, then put down the Twinkie. And tomorrow, put down the Twinkie. Repeat that step until you've lost 100 pounds. I'm not being sarcastic. I want us to get through all the clutter and the haze of analyze and, and research and think about it. Don't think about it. Do it. Don't write about it. Do it. Don't study it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do the next right thing. Have a bias towards action. Here's why it's so important. If you don't do that, then all of your want-tos are going to turn into your I wish I would haves. You're going to pop your head up 30 years down the road and you're going to say, I wish I would have done that and I wish I would have done that. Don't be that person. Know what you're about. Do the next right thing so you don't end up with a whole bunch of I, I wish I would haves. All right, let's land this plane. How does Solomon finish? Starting in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7, 
he wraps his book up by saying, light is, light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is a vapor. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember, you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth, or well, the whole life before you, is a vapor. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and say, Life is not pleasant anymore. So to those of us who are old, Solomon says, Enjoy life, because it's here today and gone tomorrow. To those of us who are young, Solomon says, Enjoy life, because it's here today and gone tomorrow. So rejoice in every day, enjoy every minute. Now Solomon has to tell both groups of us to, to enjoy every minute because we eventually get older, we get a little bit more cranky, we get a little bit more crotchety, and we say life is not pleasant anymore. Right, the older we get, it's harder to get out of bed in the morning, and we get kind of cranky and crotchety, and, and, uh, and, uh, and Solomon reminds us, have joy, have joy. You know, when I was in high school, I looked down on all the dumb little high school, or junior high kids, and I said, those junior high kids are dumb. Right, they don't know anything, they're stupid. And then I went to college, and I looked down on, on all the high school kids, and I said, those little dumb high school kids are stupid, they don't know anything. And then I graduated college, and I, I got a, a wife and a job and a bunch of kids and an SUV, and now I'm in my, my late 30s, and I look back on all those college kids, and I say, those, they're dumb, they don't even know what they don't know, they're stupid. Right? And, and now there's you know, people in their 50s, and they're looking at me, and they're saying, they don't even know what they don't know, they're stupid, they're, they're dumb. Right? And, and to those of you who are in your 50s, right now there's a bunch of 70-year-olds who are looking at you and they're saying, you guys are dumb and you don't know what you don't know and you know, you know, you're stupid and young. And, and somewhere there's a 97-year-old person who's saying, I hate all of you guys. You're all stupid. You're all stupid. Right. We get older. We get crotchety. We say life is not pleasant anymore. We do it at every season of life. So, so Solomon says, decide to have joy in the season of life where you are right now. You have to choose that. The opposite of joy, many dark days, as Solomon puts it, you don't have to choose that. That's going to happen automatically. That's going to come. It's just, it's just going to be there. But joy, joy's on you. Joy is for you to decide and me to decide. Dark days will come. We have to choose to find joy in the midst of it. Ecclesiastes is a commentary on life. It's been said Ecclesiastes is a commentary on the entire Bible. And I, I think that's fair. Ecclesiastes is a commentary on the entire Bible, on life after getting kicked out of the garden and what we do in the meantime until Jesus shows up and takes us into heaven. Ecclesiastes is a realistic look at the way life really is. And we think things, even though we think we shouldn't think those things, Solomon says, I want you to know what you should really think about those things. God's perspective over the sun about how we're supposed to live our life down here under the sun. And he ends it, he closes it by saying this. That's the whole story. Here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. To paraphrase Oswald Chambers, talking about this verse. He says, once you make this decision to put this verse here in, into your heart, once you decide to fear God, and, and by fear God, all we mean is he's your compass. God is your, your filter for how you make decisions, how you interpret the decisions that's going on around you. 
what people are saying about you and what's happening to you. You evaluate all of that. Once you decide that God is the standard for how you evaluate that, that's what he means when he says fear God. Once you decide that you fear God, only then can you realize there's nothing else to be afraid of. But until you decide to fear God, you will be afraid of everything that comes across your path. Once you make the decision to fear God, then you will realize there's nothing to be afraid of. But until we make that decision, we will live a life of fear and anxiety. This is why Solomon closes his memoirs by telling you and me, look, just fear God. Obey His commands. That's your duty. That's my duty. And that is how we finish well. Amen.